It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Oklahoma City Thunder get their first win in the Western Conference. What went right for the Thunder as they had a massive bounce back against the Phoenix Suns? You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it going on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast, on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, media member, and editor-in-chief over at thunderousintentions.com, Ryland Styles. Follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. Follow the show on Twitter at LLThunderPod. Email the show, LLThunderPod at gmail.com. On today's show, we're diving into the Oklahoma City Thunder, knocking off the Phoenix Suns, earning their first win in the Western Conference. And SGA and J-Dub were incredible on the offensive end. What a response from this team after that Sacramento game. And Thunder fans might need to turn off their football brain. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Talking Thunder basketball. Subscribe for free across all podcasting platforms, including on YouTube. Folks, in this game, Kenny Hustle was out. Kante Johnson, Olivier Saar, and Lindy Waters were all inactive. The Blue open up their season this weekend. They're going to open up their home slate tonight on Monday. So that leads into a little bit more of inactivity from the two-way guys uh, from here on out, kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit there. Uh, Devin Booker, Eric Gordon, Damon Lee all out. And then for the Thunder, Trey Mann, Pokashevsky, Micic did not play in this game either. But the big thing for the Thunder team was their response. Look, the game against the Kings, they came out flat and the starters didn't have it. And it just overall was not the level of intensity that you would want from this young Thunder team. I can promise you uh, that Mark challenged those guys and you saw the course correction, and that's the biggest thing. I think at times it's easy to forget that this is the second youngest team in the NBA and that if they are able to survive this season as a top six seed in the West, avoiding that play-in tournament, that's a really big accomplishment. It's insanely hard to play 82 games and learn how to close out games in that stretch and be prepared to play and coach in those 82 games. And this Thunder team is going to grow and get better and find their identity and find out how to navigate such a long season. And in this game, the Thunder played like the better team from start to finish. They brought the pace, they brought the physicality, the urgency, and overall, their, their process and their decision-making was better. And now that ended up getting a win, but it, there are some times where, and some nights where you can have a really good process and things just don't bounce your way. But still, that process being better was encouraging for OKC. I think that this is one of the Thunder's best wins of the year, and obviously only 10 games in, so that's not exactly a hot take. But when you factor in, this Thunder team didn't get their biggest lead of 12 points, in, of course, until the end of the game. The Suns never led by more than eight. There were 16 lead changes, 12 
ties in this game. A 16-lead change game on the road against the Suns, who have Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal on the other side. That is an impressive game. And let's start to break this game down, where you have the Thunder only having seven turnovers. And that's what I mean when I say that these turnovers can be cleaned up. I know that the comments and, and the replies like, oh, well, they're going to have turnovers from their style of play. That's absolutely true. Their, their style of play is going to be conducive to turnovers. But the amount of turnovers and how you get to the turnovers are things that they could have cleaned up and that they did clean up and have progressively cleaned up as the season went on. But seven turnovers tonight was awesome for the way that they move and cut and pass. Uh, that was a really good number from OKC. They forced 17 Phoenix Suns turnovers. And so let's look at this. The, the, the rebounding battle is an interesting one. The Thunder had 14 fast break points. The Suns only had six. So the Suns win the battle on the glass 52 to 33. They win the battle of the glass 52 to 33. But there's only nine second chance points by the Suns and six fast break points by the Suns. So between 52 rebounds and seven Thunder turnovers, there is only six fast break points for the Suns. And of those 52 rebounds, there's only nine putback points for the Suns. The Thunder are going to concede rebounds, and that's going to make their life harder because you have to defend for longer. There was a perfect example of that in this game where they force a split-second shot. That was a wasted shot by the Suns because it was either to take the bad shot or take the shot clock violation. So the Thunder defend for 24 seconds and get a really good stop, and then the Suns get their offensive board. That makes your life harder, but it's about what they do with those rebounds that decide if they, if they inherently impact winning or not. You got outboarded 52 to 33 and won the game. And not only did you win the game, you held a Suns, you know, offense to 99 points. Whenever the lowest point in the league in the modern NBA right now is 106 points per game. And let me tell you, Portland, they don't have a KD. They don't have Bradley Beal. And they still score 106 points a game. So to hold anyone to below 100 anymore is a massive accomplishment. Now, I will, I will of course say, Losing the rebounding battle makes your life a lot, a lot, a lot harder. But the Thunder are willing to gamble on the trade-offs that come with being able to bite down and play defense for longer and eventually get the breaks from that. Eventually, between turning you over 17 times and the ability to get out and run, eventually that will kind of balance out and at worst be a wash. At best, you, you can say that you've created some advantages of of being able to get out and go because on the few rebounds that you do get, if, if the opposition is so geared up to, to just crashing the glass, cause they know they can bully you in there. Well, whenever you get away with one on the glass, you're now oftentimes playing three on one because everyone else has gone to the board. So uh, I, I think ultimately the thunder can absolutely do a better job of rebounding battle with this current construction. As you saw in the second half, the second half, the thunder got 20 of their 33 rebounds. 20 of their 33 rebounds came in the second half. In that second half, the Suns got 24 rebounds. So big picture-wise, the Thunder got dominated on the glass. Second half-wise, the Thunder were a minus four. And for this lineup and this group, if they can routinely get to that minus four, you're absolutely going to take that. But, I, of course, the, re the rebounding battle is an issue, but it's not going to um, – you know, there's ways to combat it. There's ways to combat it, and the Thunder – frankly, can be better on the board with this team without without going out and making some dramatic trade or or changing their philosophy on if Chet's a center or pairing Chet with somebody different down low. Without doing any of that, they can get better.
Now, how much better can you get is the question that they're going to find out by having this season serve as kind of a, a trial run for what this looks like. Because in a game where you were out rebounded 52 to 33, you were still able to be the better team. You were still able to be uh, the winner in this game. And you were still able to limit the opposition who got 52 rebounds to 99 points. The Thunder shot 48, 37, 84. Uh, the Sun shot 38, 31, 84. So pretty good game there from OKC. Obviously, the shot was not falling early on. This was a really bad three-point shooting game early on. As a team, you only shoot 37%, but still able to get the job done offensively. And I think that this young team overcame quite a bit in this game. You know, I, I don't want to talk about the officials, but the officials were uh, a bit inconsistent. And, and I think that it was a great job by Frank Vogel. I don't know how he didn't get ejected because he came out and argued on the Thunder side of the court. But putting that aside, getting that technical foul is what I talk about with whenever I say that, you know, sometimes Mark can go get a foul for his guys because at worst, you're conceding one free throw. At best, you're planting the seed to kind of change the whistle, even for just a, a two-minute stretch to just change the whistle by the officials after just berating them uh, and, and kind of earning that technical foul. So, like, the, the thing is here, you give up the the, the the technical foul free throw. That's the that's the, the the at worst you just gave it away. You gave away one point. Okay, whatever. But at best, you've changed the mind of the official. You've fired up your team who wants to go fight for you and like kind of uh, you know kind of get, be more hoorah after their head coach just kind of uh, had their back, so to say. And obviously, players never think that they were on the wrong you know on the right side of fouls or wrong side of fouls with the officials. So the, the, the pros oftentimes outweigh the cons. Now it's a healthy balance, right? You can't go, you can't go to a technical foul every single game. If you get technical foul every single game, it'd be the same thing as giving some impassioned speech uh, after every single game. Eventually it wears off. Eventually uh, you just get accommodated to it. It'd be like, if I come up here every game and whoever performed bad, I said, well, they are the worst player in the NBA and whoever performed good. I said is the best player in the NBA. Then all of a sudden nothing I say matters because it's just going to be totally dependent on a box score and a rant that I'm looking to find the angle for. Whereas come on here every single day and give you my thoughts and, and balance it out with, with what we think big picture wise and pick your spots for when you go on those rants, then those rants become more important. Then those rants become uh, well, more thought out. And of course more well-received, but for this other team, uh, you saw Frank Vogel kind of change the minds of the officials a little bit after a technical foul. Cause the refs, uh, while they weren't, I don't think terrible in this game, Obviously, whenever Shea goes line eight times and like the Thunder had some some bad whistles, fans are going to think that they were awful. I, I don't think that the refs were awful. I, I said all that to say this. I, I thought that there was a huge chunk of that first part of the game where they let both teams play extremely physical. Frank Vogel went off on the refs, and there was a little bit of chunk there where they started calling everything on the Thunder, but still letting the Suns play physical. And then ultimately, they got back to, to a more consistent kind of leveling playing field. But that portion where they let the Suns get away with some more stuff and called some fouls on the Thunder that were a bit touchy. I think that that was you know, directly correlated to Frank Vogel just giving away one free throw for all of that benefit that we mentioned before. Uh, but what a win for this young Thunder team. They survived kind of that inconsistent stretch from the refs. They survived some foul trouble to a lot of their key guys. Uh, but what a win for this young team and to outscore the Suns 31-13 to in the fourth quarter of this game. It was awesome. We're going to talk about this game, breaking it down from an individualized performance. Plus, you Thunder fans need to kind of turn off that football portion of their brain when evaluating this young team. We'll talk about that coming up. But first, what's it right now? Back to friends over at Price Picks. Price Picks is great. I love Price Picks. I think that you should go check out Price Picks. So with Price Picks, you can go and you predict, will the players I pick 
go more or less than their prize pick projections. So with basketball season here, what you can do is you can do cross league and cross sport entries where you can have Travis Kelsey more than 10 and a half receiving yards. If you get extremely lucky, he'll go over that, obviously. Uh, or it will mix that with SGA more or less than 15 and a half points. That'd be a really nice day for you. Easy money for you. Uh, but nonetheless, you can cross them sports. You can keep it the same sport. It's just you versus the projected numbers. So you can go and even if you want to play alongside some of Price Pick's favorite players like Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz, you can go there right now to Community Plays and see what they're saying in their tab. And they even offer you a reboot policy. So Again, price picks, you pick two to six players and you project where they go more or less than their projected numbers. So there's no fantasy shark that's going to beat you out in your pool. It's simply if you think that they're going to go more or less than their projections. And if you're worried like, hey, I only follow the NBA, so I don't, I'm not interested in the other sports. And we know in the NBA, you know, night to night, some guys play, some guys don't. If you put in an entry and your guy didn't play, then price picks even offers a reboot policy to, to entries that uh, can play even if one of your players gets injured or, or, or doesn't suit up or whatever the case is for a reboot on price picks. Check it out today. That's pricepicks.com right now slash locked in MBA or use code locked in MBA and you can get an instant deposit match up to $100. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back on Lockdown Thunder Podcast. I'm the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you talking Thunder basketball. Folks, what a win this was for the Thunder. I think that some Thunder fans have to kind of turn off that football brain and turn on the basketball side of things. This is an 82-game season. And I think it would be incredibly disingenuous for me to come on here and ask you to listen the sound of my voice every day at minimum five days a week at maximum seven days a week. So anywhere between five and seven podcasts a week to ask you to invest that time into this show. It'd be insanely disingenuous to say that these games don't matter because then why would anything I say about the games matter? Right? So I'm not going to take these games don't matter. I'm not going to tell you not to react to these games. My, so don't, so don't conflate what I'm about to say with that. I think that you should react to these games I think that you should raise questions of what the Thunder are doing, and hopefully I can help you um, just see why or, or how things are happening. We can work through this stuff together. That's why we do mailbags. That's why I read your takeaways on these post-game uh, recap shows a lot of the time. It's why we go through that thought process. But I think that because you know football is king in Oklahoma, you can get caught up, especially now, whenever the college football season is going on, you're kind of wired that way right now. And we forget that like unlike in college football, especially, not every game defines your season. So the, the define is, is, is what I'm driving at here. I'm not going to say that every game isn't impactful or meaningful because, as I've been saying with the, with the standings, if we look back in April and the Thunder are a game and a half out of the top six and they're going to have to play in the play-in tournament instead, that game and a half can be made up in October, in November, in December, in January, in, in February, in March, in April. We put all this stress on the March and April games, but th th that game and a half you know, is, is out there 
the entire season. So uh, uh, not that these games don't matter, but you're not defined by a certain win or loss in an 82-game season. You are, at the end of the year, what your collection of games says you are. Whereas in college football, you can be defined by one Saturday. You can have an, a great 12-game season, but if one Saturday you're not your normal self, the sky is falling, the program's in disarray, the head coach can't get it done, and you can rat-a-tat-tat down the list of things you've all heard about Brent Venables, of things you've all heard about Mike Gundy, of things you've all heard about your favorite college football coach after every single loss that you've ever been alive for. Every single time OU loses, every single time OSU loses, every single time that any college football team loses, the program's falling apart, recruiting's falling apart, this guy's not cut out for this, this guy's not cut out for that, because you're so hyper-focused on that 12-game season where you only get it a certain time of the year, you only get it once a week, and it, everything matters so much more. And so I think that that's where a lot of the times people ridicule this fan base for being so dramatic, being so reactionary. It is tough to, to balance the two back and forth. Now, as I mentioned, all these games have things you can take away from them or else I wouldn't have a job. All these things have things that, that you can point to and reference later on or even reference in the moment. But at the end of the day, game to game, it can't be this, this sweeping roller coaster of this guy's good this game, now he's a terrible player. This guy's part of the core, now you got to trade him. This guy's uh, going to be a future all-star, now he's going to be out of the league like tail Maldon. Like, like You can go up and down and up and down with these players. You cannot do that in, in basketball so much as you can in football. And even, even living in the game, right, on social media, during games, you, I think that you see that even more evident from the fan base of like, yeah, basketball games are going to be messy. Like, like it's a game of runs, so it's going to be messy. It's going to be runny. You're going to start out on a 13-3 run, then let up a 15-2 to, to run, then go on a 23-5 to run. It's just going to be a game of runs, and it always has been and it always will be. But the, the, think about what you saw and heard and even maybe possibly tweeted during this game of like, oh, this this game is over. Uh, this is terrible. And then the Thunder not only held the Suns to 99 points, but they won. They won this game. First win versus the West uh, on the road in a back-and-forth game. The Thunder responded in a huge way after a dud versus the Kings. And you got to give credit to where credit's due. As much as these young players are young and developing and growing, so is Mark, right? And I, I said my piece that, that Wiggins should play more against the Kings. And, and in this game, it's not, it, it's a perfect example of it. Whenever what I said on Friday or, or yeah, Friday, Saturday, it's not about not exploring the roster. It's about making the adjustments quicker during the game. We're like in this game, he tried Berton's minutes. It took three minutes to realize, ah, this is not a Berton's game. Like let's, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Let's go back to Case and Jay Hill. You know, let's go back to Joe. Let's go back to these guys. It's not a Bretons game because there wasn't a matchup. Like the, the, the thing with Bretons was there wasn't a matchup that you could find for him defensively. And, and that's why he only played three minutes because you tried to get him in there for, for the offensive firepower. But how does Bretons stay on the floor? It's finding a stationary wing player who's going to sit at the three-point line and not move. And that's just who Bretons is going to guard. But what did the Suns do? The Suns didn't let that happen. The Suns solved Bertans on the floor, and when you have two elite scores like Durant, like Beal on your team, you're going to put Bertans in action. You're going to go out there, and you're going to have barbecue chicken out there every single night. So you adjust to that. You put him in for three minutes. You realize, hey, the Suns are picking on him, and then he doesn't, doesn't play again. right? So 
that was a quote unquote exploration of trying to find an offensive shooting lineup that you quickly nip in the bud because it's not working. And that's a good course correction from, I think, Mark in this game of, of not just saying, hey, we're going to get Proton's minutes tonight and he's going to play. He's going to play his normal 10 to t- 10 to 12 minutes. To put him in and then never put him back in after three minutes was pretty good from Mark to just have a plan. Like he obviously thought, like, hey, let's put, let's try Proton's. Like that wasn't just a willy nilly decision, but he quickly decided, okay, we tried it. It's not going to work. I think that that was a growth period from Mark in this game. Now, let's talk about SGA. SGA, 35 points, seven boards, four assists. Really good game from him to steal a turnover and a block. One turnover from him is really nice, especially with the way that the Suns were doubling him. And the biggest thing with the, with Shea is he's one of those players in the NBA where like you oftentimes will not have anyone you trust to defend him. Because it's it's true. Shea is unguardable. So there are a few players who do do really well on him. You know, Herb Jones does really well on him. Like you can count on other defenders to do really well on him. But Ultimately, night in and night out, you just gotta find one that you trust to give him to give him a tough go of it. Because he's gonna he's gonna score 30. He's gonna be efficient. He's gonna make shots that are just unbelievable. Like, how did you do that against really good defense? The problem with the Suns, though, was from the word go, there was just no one who you trusted to battle with Shea. No, no sparring partner on the Suns for Shea. And so that meant that they instantly had to throw double teams. And then that's where you saw the Thunder kind of get some advantages, even if it wasn't direct assists from Shea, some hockey assists, some, some late, late rotations, uh, because you're trying to double Shea. And you can just make tough shots <laughs> out of double teams. So it doesn't even help there. The, the emotion he played with the step back three hit was huge. Uh, he had a nice cut on the inbounds play that, that they run with Giddy for his first bucket. It, you know, it feels like he accidentally gets to his spot sometimes. He talked after the game, the last home game, about how like the, the the way you get to your spots is by having multiple spots because then you know, it's harder to predict how to get to your spots. I wonder if there's times where like when he's sizing up and he's about to go right at the top of the key, he has a certain spot in mind of his he wants to get to, but then he realizes like, oh, the defense isn't even defending this spot. I'll just go over here instead. So if you go back and look at uh, that second shot that he hit on Bradley Beal, it looks like he just kind of fell into shooting it at the nail. I just, I, with his ability to stop on a dime, I wonder how often it happens where, hey, I'm, I'm going to try to go for the low block here, but then you realize that the defender's sacking off. So eh, I guess I'll just shoot at the free throw line instead and just like randomly kind of fall into his shot. Another great play, an example of him rejecting the screen and being elite at rejecting the screen. And the fact that he has counters to these pick and rolls is what's going to make this Thunder team cook offensively in the half court in the postseason. Whenever it is that they get there in a seven game playoff series, we know that postseason basketball slows down and you're relying on half-court offense. You're not relying on transition. And so when that happens, pick and roll becomes, you know, the, the most ran play in the NBA still, you know, it is all the time, but also, of course, it gets heightened uh, come postseason. And the ability to reject the screen was great in this game and has been great for Shea all year long. He, he has this opportunity where Chet sets the screen, Eubanks is playing drop coverage, and Shea goes like he's about to take the screen from Chet and then rejects it and goes the other way. And Beal is just absolutely full trying to play the screen and he gets on the wrong side of Chet and Shea gets an easy elbow jumper because Eubanks has dropped down and no one's there. No one's home to, to even put a hand up on that elbow jumper from Shea. I had some tough buckets over KD, which is cool. Uh, and I think that he's still making the adjustment. He had eight free throw attempts, uh, pretty good number, but like not the 10, the average last year. Uh, I, I think he's making the adjustment of like, if, if the refs are going to let the defenders play more physically, He's going to initiate the contact at the rim, and he did a great job of that. 
in this game versus the Suns and a very big win for OKC. Coming up, let's talk J-Dub, who dropped 31 points, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, and more coming up on today's Locked On Thunder podcast. Folks, I want to take right now, but good friends over at Jace Medical. Folks, Jace Medical is there to give you some peace of mind uh, to empower you today at Jace Medical. And what they can do for you is that they can give you uh, five five life-saving antibiotics in case that, that, that you know you find yourself uh, in need. And of course, you can go there and they have licensed uh, professionals to help you out. And they have, they have uh, everything that you could need there with uh, the peace of mind to empower yourself of in case anything happens in the middle of the night or something, you are, you are caught with these five life-saving antibiotics that can help you or a loved one during something unexpected. Uh, Jace handles all of the online evaluations from the licensed uh, physicians to uh, medication delivery to ongoing consult and care. They have it all for you. Uh, so make sure you go there right now because Jace Case does provide those antibiotics for you and they can make sure that you have uh, what you need uh, by going and using the code locked on at checkout for a discount there and you receive your 12-month supply uh, of your daily uh, and, and of your of your antibiotics. So go check it out today at Jace Medical. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're back on the Lockdown Thunder Podcast. On the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every single morning, every single day. We're here for you. Talking Thunder Basketball. J-Dub, his scoring profile was on display. 31 points, an assist, a rebound, two steals. He had that catch-and-shoot jumper working. He was able to beat his matchup off a dribble multiple times. It's the benefit of him playing the four is that, of course, he's going to be able to get you off the dribble a lot. Very creative off the bounce. I love that behind-the-back move to free him up from Durant and finish with the rim. Caught that oop from Kaysen, which was really cool because J-Dub was already at the low block whenever Kaysen threw it, and he just kind of sprung up there and slammed it home, and, and it was a pretty good contest uh, after uh, the, the ball had already been caught from the Kaysen lob for J-Dub. The steal and transition dunk, the and one, uh, and then he had a really heads-up play defensively early in the game where uh, Bradley Beal uh, lost his shoe, and he was stuck all the way back in the backcourt. The, the Suns offense had already been into the half court, and so – him and Dort just savvily double team uh, KD in the corner because you're playing five on four. Double team's not going to hurt you. Uh, and the Suns burn a timeout early on because Beal's back there getting his shoe on. Durant's trapped in the corner, uh, and it was not looking good for that possession. All of his shots came in the paint and from three. He said that his parents were there, so it's cool to uh, to drop 31 in front of his folks. Hey, there's been players like Tim Hardaway Jr. who performed really well. With his dad in the stands, maybe the, the Thunder should uh, – fly his pants with the team everywhere to make him play like this. But really good game from him overall. And I think that you can you can start to see uh, the ways he can score at all three levels, mid-range and then the paint and then from beyond the arc. You did a really good job of hitting the elbow jumpers and free throw line jumpers and then getting deeper into the paint and then having the three. So even though all the shots came in the paint and from the three, there is still multi-layers to the paint that, that helps him out. And you saw that brute strength also help him in this game too that he put on during the offseason. So great from J-Dub. Uh, in this game, scoring-wise, him and Shea really led the way offensively, and then it was a collective team effort 
to play really good defense, along with Jada, of course, in, in that mix as well, playing good defense. Uh, Josh Giddy, I think, had a really good start to this game. Uh, he had a block and type of, of uh, Nurkic. He had great hardline drives to start this game, some really nice passing. He played with much better pace and tempo in this game. He did a good job of limiting frustrations. Like, obviously, whenever uh, you make a mistake, it's going to be frustrating, but like, he limited that and didn't let that pour into his play as much as it seemingly has uh, the, the last few games. Uh, and I think that he just has to uh, play 48 minutes of consistent basketball, which is the, the toughest thing to do for a young player. But uh, playing 48 minutes of consistent hardline drives is big. Like he still had a few possessions where he had a great cut. So like the process of cutting the rim was there. The pass was there. It was a great play if you just pause it on the catch. But after the catch, he didn't give himself the, the, the more steam downhill. He just kind of caught it and popped up a little floater that missed and, and he didn't convert. And that would have been an easy bucket. And of course, that helps the shooting percentage and, and helps you look better overall. But like things like that of of being ultra aggressive and, and just kind of figuring out how to utilize your length is something that still lacks from Giddy's game that I do believe he can figure out. Uh, and I do think that people sometimes forget he's only 21 years old, but uh, much better today. Still not perfect. And when you're 10 games in, you don't have to be perfect, but it is worth noting like he still had a few lapses but ultimately 10 assists six boards three on each end uh two steals two blocks 10 points you're going to take that night on 41 percent shooting from josh giddy and start to use it as a stepping stone to climb out of what has been a really slow start from him to the year uh chet holmgren was really nice in this game the pick and roll uh is such a threat for him his ability to have step in trailing threes is great because it creates artificial transition for okc where if you if you inbound the ball quickly like he does and so whenever he inbounds off a made basket and gets it in quick, and then the Thunder go down there and set up the offense, then when he's coming back from the inbound, Josh can just swing him the ball as a trailer in the slot, and boom, he gets a three. Here's the thing of what's so good about this Thunder team. It's tough to counter them because the counter to that, of that artificial fast break, is to start your big higher. But if you start your big higher to meet Chet at the perimeter, he's just going to take that big man off the bounce and embarrass him and either get an open look for three or you're going to rotate and he's going to dump it off, or you're going to rotate late and he's going to get fouled. So that play that you can get off a couple times a game is huge because in, in the course of a game, if you get a couple easy threes and he knocks them both down, that's six qu uh, quick points. Oftentimes that can be the difference in the NBA is a six-point cushion. So really good from him. Just like J-Dub, all of his shots really came in the paint and from three. Uh, I, I think that another aspect that they should use him more in, and then they'll continue to find these things out, as you play more and more games, but you know, having him start on the opposite side of the ball, right. And then coming up to the ball as if he's setting the screen, but then slicing and diving down into the lane and into the rim that makes him have such a easy path to two easy points because he's bringing his man with them. And so he's already a, a step quicker than his man in general. He's also a step quicker because he knows where he's going and his man doesn't. And with him kind of diving at the rim, You've, you've now sealed off your man to where all you got to do is make the pass in there. And it, it, it's as though it's like a, it's like a, it's like a uh, shorter or quicker slip screen where you don't come all the way up to the ball handler's man, but just kind of come up close enough to where guys start to guess. And then boom, he had that play uh, in this game. That was really nice and that they should use more uh, if it's open to them for chat, but 18 points, four assists, six rebounds, two blocks for him. I thought Lou Dort still played really well. Uh, Lou Dort's praise for me was never about his shooting percentages, like the raw numbers. 
is about the shot diet. And like, and like he still shot the ball well uh, in terms of shot the ball when he chose to shoot was still well. And there's going to be nights like this where like the ball just doesn't go in. The ball also didn't go in that much against the, against the Kings as it has been. But we knew he was not going to shoot the ball 50% from three. It's about when you do shoot, in, shoot inefficiently, why, why do you shoot inefficiently? Is it because you took wild shots when you shoot inefficiently for the FCC? Uh, when you shoot inefficiently, it's about why was it inefficient? Why did you did you see those numbers uh, crater? Was it because you were driving wildly into five guys at the rim? Was it because you took a willy-nilly step-back three over the outstretched arms of Kawhi Leonard? Or did you just take five open looks and only one of them went in? Like, I'll take that night every now and then where you have open looks and they don't cash in because at least you're playing your role properly, and he has been all season long. And you cannot discredit what he did against KD and Bradley Beal defensively. Great job from, from him giving up the length to, to KD but still being able to contest and, and disrupt him is an impressive skill from Lou Dort. Uh, Isaiah Joe, I, I thought he was awesome defensively, highly active, and he's made himself very valuable independent of his three-point shot. And tonight he was one for two from three, but, made, but he's made himself independent of just having to have a catch-fire three game um, to, to be useful. He's really good beyond that now. And then you saw Aaron Wiggins. The box score is, is rarely going to tell the story of Wiggins, but you saw tonight how much activity and how much of a big part he played in holding the Suns to 99 points. He was everywhere on the defensive end in rotation, and that contest on Eubanks to to uh, to cause the offensive interference, it really swung the game for OKC and for this team. Wiggins was great off the bench for OKC. Obviously, this counting stats are not going to say that, but it was loud when you watch the game and actually kind of know what you're watching with Wiggs. MVP of the game, let's give it to J-Dub. Because, of course, SJ has many Lockdown Thunder MVPs. Let's give it to J-Dub today. But let me know your biggest takeaway from this game down below on YouTube or on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles and anywhere you get your podcast from. And along with those takeaways, give me your mailbag podcast. We're going to go and do a mailbag podcast for Tuesday's show ahead of the Wimbanyama Chet official game one in the NBA. They did, they did play in the preseason, but this one counts and is an in-season tournament game. Shout out to that tournament. Uh, so ahead of that, we'll do a mailbag podcast on Tuesday. So get your questions in for the mailbag uh, tomorrow's show as well. Of course, that means Wednesday, we are recapping the Spurs game. And away we go with another week of Lockdown Thunder. So until then, be good and be good to one another. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Lockdown podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.